Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to the program. Do we have any uh, long weekend plans? Does it even feel like a long weekend is upon us? It is. We're not here tomorrow. Uh, we're back on Wednesday. In fact, we got a really short show today. We're only going until 4 <laughs> o'clock because at 4 o'clock we are heading out to Philadelphia once again for what I predict to be a crazy game, game four of the 1993 World Series. Blue Jays now lead that series two games to one after taking game three at uh, Veterans Stadium yesterday. So back to Philly for game three to game four tonight, the Blue Jays have an opportunity to take an absolute stranglehold. That is a four o'clock start right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fam. Logan Gordon is at the Basement Systems Downtown Studio. Ryan Pinder is at his place. I'm here at my place as we are underway on Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Thursday! But does it feel like a long weekend, Pinder? Does it feel like we're about to have three days off, or does it feel just like Groundhog Day once again? Well, it's a bit of both. I, I think what will be nice tomorrow is that I won't have to use every fiber of my being to not pour rum cream in with my coffee. I can just do it. Whereas today, and yesterday, and Tuesday, to and Monday, it just, uh, it was tough. I was like, I this coffee's lovely, but man, do I want to pour rum cream in it. But I can't because I'm working today. I won't have that issue tomorrow. And whenever I decide to throw on my moccasins and house coat and wander around the home. There will be coffee with rum cream in it almost immediately after. Are you like one of those, you wear a robe and like there's wardrobe, wardrobe malfunctions all the time. Is that, is that you like, be honest now? No, I, you know what? I wish I had a really good robe now that I were in pandemic. I would never want one except that now that all we do is loaf around the house. Boys have them. Uh, Mama Bear's got one, but uh, I do not have like a, a house coat as much as I painted the picture that I did. It's usually sweatpants and a comfy hoodie, which, by the way, I'm ruined. I've tried sweaters without hoodie, without a hood. Yeah. Like I, I can't go back. The back of my neck is just cold. It's like, what are you doing here? This is uh, this is uh, this is no good at all. Like maybe when we get to July, August, I can go without a hood, but a normal sweater, done with them. Can't stand it. I'm used to having uh, the back of my neck warm, which apparently. No matter what societies you go to, when you were sick or when it's cold, that's always an area that's covered up by an article of clothing. It's uh, it's important in keeping you healthy, Pat. The uh, now the back of the your neck. family is from uh, your family is from Saskatchewan originally, right? That's where the Pinders originated. My dad's side of the family is from Saskatoon, and my mom's side is from Toronto. Okay, so half this of the Pinder side is mm-hmm. is from Saskatoon. Did you ever call hoodies a bunny hug? No, but I have cousins that do, the ones that were uh, raised in Saskatchewan. Um, so it's uh, it's a regional thing, and I'm not uh, living in that region. I visit that region about 10 days a year, and uh, you can call it a bunny hug, but don't expect to not get flack about it. I I don't even understand why it's called that. I just know that um it is called well, that I mean, in in some circles of the world it's cozy perhaps one it, province uh, to the east of us yeah i don't know what people do to bunnies there but maybe they're 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 grabbing them around the neck the bunnies keeping them 
warm on the back of their uh, of their uh, spine. I don't know. It uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Pat, but that's okay. Um, okay, so what are the uh, gentlemen? What are the plans? Logo, you go. You go first. Do you have anything planned? Exciting for our Easter long weekend. Do you have anything set in stone, or is it just sleeping in and watching television? Uh, I believe the parents are. We're gonna do a, a turkey dinner one night for Easter, um, but I think that's literally it. Like that's that's the extent of any plans. That's I don't even know if it's planned. It's just gonna happen one night. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's just gonna be sleeping in, watching TV, drinking a little too much. That's probably it. Mm. Pinder, sounds good. Um... <laughs> We know that you're going to have rum coffee. Uh, anything else rum that coffee. you have planned? I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe I'm going to be shoveling the walk because apparently we're supposed to get a dump of snow tomorrow. Not necessarily ne- uh, a big fan of that. But again, uh, spring in Calgary sucks. It's and it's it's definitely going to be a spring dump of snow, which are the usually welcomed with the, the least uh, happy people. Like oh, it's snowing still, hey? Right, good. April, yeah, awesome. Just it's supposed great. to be. It's supposed Perfect. to be pretty junky all weekend, and then yeah. starting on Monday, it's supposed to go up. By next weekend, it's supposed to be you know pretty darn nice in Calgary. Uh, Five to ten centimeters tomorrow. Digits. Five <sighs> to ten centimeters tomorrow. So my boys are out right now on a bike ride. That's probably going to be their last for until maybe midweek next week. Yeah, midweek next week is when probably all that snow will be gone. I'm finding it that I actually I don't mind running in the snow though. My the, the shoes that I have mm. got pretty decent grip, so I can run in the snow, and it's easier on my knees in the snow than it is on the. Because uh, apparently, apparently, I have started to age. Uh, I now right. feel things in my knees. I don't like it. Um, people always like people always talked about. Ah, oh, you know, you'll know. Like when you get into your mid thirties, you'll start to have pains that you never had before. Oh, that's actually happening now. Um, but I, I actually prefer running on snow and grass when I can because it's uh, that's a little easier on these uh, these old knees. Um, I need new these shoes, old too. Knees. That's going to be one of the things that I have to focus on during this pandemic, new shoes for running. You can uh, order those to your door. Contact us. Let's do that, hey? Hey? I just yeah. I worry about, like, the sizing, you know, like – Different shoes on the back. different sizes, so if you think that... You're not yeah, the I first person do to do this online. And you know what they right. say about people with normal size feet, Ryan? Normal size that. shoes. Okay, there you are. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, nothing too spectacular lined up. What I mean, size are your feet, same, Ryan? Which is, uh, I've got moccasins on right now, Pat. I don't know that they have a size. Um, there'll be lots of cards. There'll be lots of boosts, <laughs> and we will continue with the Star Wars um, education of the young men. We finished Return of the Jedi last night, and the boys were so wound up after the Ewoks helped Luke Skywalker and Han and Chewbacca uh, defeat, you know, the dark side for a while here that we actually started Phantom Menace right after, even though it was well beyond bedtime. Uh, we were on a roll. We were up to the pod so race. So what's the explanation like? Like, how do you how do you sell that to your kids? Like, they just watched this back culmination of, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's seven and a half hours of, of like, intense uh, good versus evil, evil battling. Like, how do you, 
how do you now tell your children that, okay, Darth Vader has been redeemed, but he's dead. The Emperor has been vanquished. The second Death Star has been destroyed. The Ewoks mm-hmm. have their party. And now we're going back to Darth Vader as a child. Like, how did you explain that to them? Well, that's uh, not easily, but we just said this was Darth Vader when he was good and when he was a boy. And then, of course, what is it? Obi-Wan Kenobi is the the young yeah. guy with the rat tail and the bad... Uh, yeah, good. And Liam Neeson's the other guy. I forget his name, but they're the Jedi. Uh, so, okay, Qui- those are Jedi. Qui- Qui-Gon Jing. Am I right on sure. that logo? Qui-Gon Jin. So. Qui-Gon Jin, yeah. Okay, very good. So either way, um, you know, they, they, they're kind of grasping that, that we've gone back in time. But uh, more interestingly, before the uh, Ewoks and Han and Chewbacca and Leia turn things around at the Shield Center on the moon outside the Death Star there, yeah. Uh, and my one kid turns to me and says, daddy, the good guys are bad at this. And the bad guys are good at this, which was the fighting where the stormtroopers are just destroying them. They're, they're like basically doing everything, but retreating. They've been trapped. It's not going well. The bad guys are good at this dad. And it was like, yeah, the bad guys were definitely ready for this one. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun. I don't remember a lot of this stuff because you know, how bad my memory is. It's like, I actually watched those original the original trilogy it feels like for the first time in the sense that like i knew the themes and stuff but i literally didn't know what was coming around the corner So this is the first time watching them as an adult yes i love it that's good i'm almost like um i'm almost jealous that you're getting to rewatch them uh like anytime somebody's like i'm starting breaking bad i get jealous i'm like Man, I want to be watching Breaking Bad for the first time. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm jealous of you. That's good. I'm very I'm proud of you, and, yeah. and I think that you're raising your children correctly. My sister, uh, she I, I told her today we were chatting. I said we finished the original trilogy last night. She's like, "Well, your boys have now seen three more Star Wars movies than I have in my whole life." So didn't and realize more that. than more than Lou has as well. That's less surprising, but yes, <laughs> I mean if there was some sort of a division three outdoor lacrosse uh conference tournament involving a canadian that would probably have to trump star wars right yeah absolutely i uh i really have nothing planned for my long weekend i really don't like drinking for sure uh working Mm. out i will try we'll see what the motivation is like i'm definitely doing a run as soon as the show is done um Ozark, continue that. I didn't get any episodes in last night, uh, so I'm eight episodes in. Okay. Um, Season one. Yep, season one. So Ozark, uh, I'll continue the the Marvel marathon that I'm on right now. Uh, Next up is the first Avengers. Uh, Not not Captain America, the first Avengers, but the Avengers, the first movie. Uh, So that's next up for me. I'll continue doing that. Um, I've been, like, I've been practicing french and stuff and so while doing that I, I like to when i'm doing the reading and the studying i like to have something on in the background so uh over the last couple of days i watched Moneyball, um Ooh. which was which was uh it's all, like that's one of the that's a really rewatchable movie and i always catch something uh something new when i'm watching uh watching Moneyball. Now, did you read the book first or did you see the movie first or have you only done one of the two uh, I have read I, I read the book second and I uh, and then and watched the movie first. So I watched the movie that introduced me to the um, to the to the book and then um, I've now watched the movie multiple times. 
And how do we feel about the book versus the movie? There's, there is sort of a rule of thumb, isn't there? Um, I thought. I mean, I thought the the movie takes more artistic license than the book does um and they you know there's there's more like you need you need more villainizing in the movie than you do in the book that type of stuff um but uh i I think it actually for the most part translates pretty well um i I think so anyway um i read the book first and i read the book first so what was your thought on it that that just you can't go into the depth in the movie about the inefficiencies they're exploiting. You really couldn't explain well, I didn't re- recall at the time, what they were trying to accomplish so much as it was like, you know, famous actors and characters and stuff, but they really didn't get into what I thought the meat of Moneyball was. Like if you've had someone watch the movie and then sat them down and say, please explain the market inefficiency that Billy Bean exploited, how many people that watched the movie would be able to, you know, depict that properly or at least mm-hmm. give you depth on it and maybe that's a limited viewing or whatever i don't even remember but i just remember being like this is like fluff this is like a reader's digest you know this this is like reading the 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 book cover like the inside leaflet like the the one inside of the cover and like a, the summary like i was really disappointed that way but it wasn't like it was a bad movie it's just that once right. you've seen more how tough is it to see the a lot of that cut and left on the floor not even shot at all i guess the so one that's, that's the new the thing because that was probably the um that was probably the you know 20th time i've seen Moneyball. the one i i always pick up on something new each time like you know for instance the first time i watched it the the biggest takeaway was wow billy koch the former blue jays closer is featured heavily in some of the game footage they use because he's like in every single game on that 20 game win streak uh they show billy koch getting the close right so i'm like yeah that's former blue jay i used to love that guy um so that was that was like the first thing that i took away but my latest thing that i took away is the calgary cannons make a um make a cameo in Moneyball. now i don't i didn't catch it and i don't know if the, i don't know if the, he was looking at chad bradford's stats because bradford played for the cannons i don't know if it was his stats or somebody else's but it when it was when he was getting ready for the trade deadline going over players that he wanted and he was looking at baseball reference or house sports data or whatever and mm-hmm. he was looking at stats and right there it's at calgary pcl triple a i'm like that's pretty cool the cannons made money ball and i'd never <laughs> noticed that before there you go. I mean, triple A. That's you're gonna. You're there. You're right there. You're that close. Of course, there's. It's funny. Like there's a bunch of Twitter accounts around town that, you know, whether it's Alberta dugout stories or cannons or some of the old, the other sports guys that just love going back down memory lane. And you see, you lived it working for the cannons, sure. But just the the actual number of legitimate good to star baseball players were just passing through as visitors or playing here. Like it's. It's a considerable list. Like if you gave me a top five players that suited up uh, for the Cannons, maybe not at the AAA level, but in terms of where their career plateaued, like that top five list is, it's got some Hall of Famers and some really, really good players. Well, A-Rod, Edgar Martinez, Tino Martinez, uh, Brett Boone, um, those yeah, guys, Danny like Tartable, all list. those all those players suited up as member of the can- members of the Cannons. A-Rod did like, what, 20 games in Calgary? Like think about that. Uh, A.J. Burnett pitched here, uh, Derek Lee, uh, um, Omar Vizquel, trying to think of some of the other names that um, would have come through Calgary. Uh, Jim Abbott came through Calgary. Uh, trying to think if there's any others that I 
No, that's I mean that's that's a that's a good list. Pretty solid list to begin with. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know how I got down that route. Well, I guess it was from the Moneyball comment, but yeah, like you you you're reminded that just having any AAA institution, that's how close you are to the best in the world that you're going to have a lot of incredible ball players paths through. So anyway, it's amazing that's, uh, that it just if you just think about it, it's amazing that at one time there were AAA organizations in Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, Ottawa. Uh, so there were four AAA organizations in this country, and now there are none. And there's, what, one affiliated club in Canada now? Uh, and that's the Canadians in Vancouver. Am I right in that? Am I, like, there's no other affiliated one, ball clubs. Well, I, th- I thought the Ottawa club had affiliated with the GAs at a lower level. But essentially what I, I think it's a case study in is our climate and how crappy our springs are and – that short season baseball is the perfect um, short season leagues are, are the, it's the perfect window to a sell tickets. Cause the weather's not bad. And B I don't uh, believe the Ottawa have, team is affiliated. They're, they're part of the can. It was at one point, a, but they're an yeah. independent league. Are they not? Yeah. Okay. They're an independent league. So yeah. they would have been like similar to the Calgary Vipers when, when they were sure. here and, um, not yeah. affiliated to major league baseball. But I guess the point being is just, it didn't suit our climate, that schedule. To, to think you're going to play that many games starting in April and rolling through into, I guess, what, the end of August? Like, okay, the tail end of that's nice, but were you going to start teams on the road for two, three weeks at the beginning of every year and, and then still come lasted, back and look at snow? They lasted 17 years here. Yeah. They played 17 well, I think seasons. Look at the markets they're in. These are all bigger than traditional AAA markets, these cities, right? But it's just that that's probably why you lasted as long as you did. Cause you have these huge markets that if, if you're in a city of 80,000 people, good luck when it's snowing in April. I mean, at least you could, you've got that going for your market size, but geez, like just miss, like imagine being out there today to watch a baseball game. It's April 9th. Oh yeah. We're going to yep. get five, 10 centimeters tomorrow. So maybe we'll try to squeeze two in. It's a double dip today. Like that's literally what they'd have to do. I used to, I remember watching games in the, cause I worked there for the final, I think five years of the team. And I remember Tuesday, Tuesday night games at seven o'clock or Wednesday afternoon games at 1205. And there would literally be 45 people in the stands. And I thought it was cool. even at the time as a teenager, I thought that this was an absolute travesty that there weren't more people watching this ball because, you know, I did a season of calling Calgary Vipers games. I worked for the Calgary outlaws for their entire half season of existence. Wow. And you just don't realize how good you have it until you see other levels of ball. And that's no knock on the Northern league or the Can-Am league or the, the different independent. Uh, what is it? The, there's the, um, there's the league out in the eastern United States that is pretty comparable to AAA ball. Um, now I can't remember the name of the league, but um, it's got like Long Island, and they're they're the independent league that is no question the best independent league in North America. Um, okay. But I mean, you you think about AAA ball and how many future major leaguers or or guys that could average on major league rosters right now that are playing it's bonkers that we had that here for 17 years and and it it actually kicks me in the gut every time i think about them leaving and uh and and not being in the city anymore because that was a pretty incredible treat that we had yeah no fair enough 
Um, memory lane. Speaking of, uh, why don't mm-hmm. we take a peek at uh, at some old calendars, Pat, for uh, exactly what did go down on uh, April 9th. Good segue, to, Ryan. Uh, uh, coming up on the show today, uh, Jeff Snyder is going to join us. Uh, Tommy Wielden Jr. is going to join us. And Chris Johnston is going to ju- join us. But let's do that. A trip down Calgary Flames memory lane this day in Flames history. Uh, I've got a few. I've got some with highlights and some without ha- highlights. We'll start going back to the second ever playoff game the Calgary Flames ever played. The Calgary Flames alumni Twitter account tweeted out a great picture yesterday about the first ever NHL yes. playoff game in, in the Calgary. Corral. It was the Flames and the Chicago Blackhawks at the Corral, and you saw the players going out to the ice through a throng. of There must have been like 500 people there, uh, and, and you're thinking to yourself, geez, well, that couldn't fly in this day and age, um, mainly because we're living in a pandemic. But you just you're just like, that was so cool. You had like... Uh, all these people right up on the flames, and there's the carpet, and they're going out for their first ever playoff game. Actually, the first ever playoff run for the Calgary Flames was pretty successful. And on this day in 1981, the Calgary Flames took a 2 0 series lead in their preliminary round matchup with the Chicago Blackhawks. 6 2 was the final score. Uh, Bob McMillan uh, had a couple of goals, other goals coming from Guy Schwinnard. Bill Clement and uh, Ken Niels- Kent Nielsen also scored for the Flames in this one so they took a 2-0 series lead on the Chicago Blackhawks in their first ever playoff series in the NHL yeah wow that photo was unreal I saw that posted and it's like yeah like I've, I've played some old man hockey at the corral and it's like this place is ancient but uh, at that point, that was, like to think that was an NHL facility really does boggle your mind. Whether you've been in there to watch like Super Dogs or the Stampede, or like a musical act, Super Dogs, wander it. It's um, it's 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 amazing. You know what? If you got in for the the Hitman series they did there a couple of years ago, that uh, yeah. that would have been a treat. Because to think that that facility hosted the highest level of hockey on planet Earth in the early '80s, like that just blows my mind. By the way, that was still 1981 where they seeded 1 through 16 in the NHL. Uh, take a Oof. look at some of these playoff matchups. Uh, Boston, Minnesota, Buffalo, Vancouver, oh, New that's York awful Rangers, travel. LA Rangers, Kings. No. Uh, Oilers, Habs. Uh, those were some of the first round oh. matchups that we saw. So Calgary swept Chicago in round one. Round two, they took on Philadelphia and beat them in seven um, before going on and losing in six to Minnesota. So they went all the way Jeez. to the final four in their first ever play. What a way to get, like, that's almost, it's not expansion level, but think about that. Like, Vegas goes to the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago in their first year of existence. Well, yeah. Calgary Flames' first year of existence, even though they were a carryover relocated team, they go all the way to the Final Four in 1981 in their first ever playoffs. That, that was pretty cool. So that was on this day in 1981. Yeah. On this day in 2004, Game 2 of the first-round series between the Flames and the Vancouver Canucks. couple of goals from Jerome Ginla and Matthew Lombardi. 50 seconds apart was enough for the Flames to tie that series at one game apiece. Marcus Nasland had the only goal for Vancouver, and the Flames won game two of that series 2-1. And I think that's the first time that this city was like, okay, Flames are in this thing. This isn't going to be crazy. Because game one, they lose in Vancouver of that series in 04. But game two, a really hard-fought 2-1 victory. You're like, 
all right, there might be something here. And we all know what happened. But I think that was the first time yeah. that at least me, I was like, okay, these guys aren't going to get uh, their, their, their doors blown off by the Canucks. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and that was a weird one because that whole year just felt like waiting for reality to sink in. Like, okay, this new guy, Kippersoff, when's he going to start to look like a mortal, not a demigod? Uh, and it just, that turned out to be the birth of, one of the great Finnish goalies ever. And you could just see not only the fans buying in, but this lunch pail group of blue collar guys saying, Hey, yep. if we just play our way and drag other teams into an alley, like with this net minding and with Jerome, why not us? And you could see the belief build throughout uh, what I thought was the, the end of the season prior when Daryl Sutter came in, Halfway through the year, it was he'd never missed the playoffs as a coach in the NHL, and that wasn't a full season, so it really wasn't him. But they sold out a bunch of games down the stretch in that season, and you could see finally they were going to possibly turn this corner from that what was then seven-year playoff drought. Uh, then Roman Turek gets hurt, but you could just see even in that series, like that bit of belief. And then even when they got through Vancouver, you know, it's getting some wins early against Detroit. You're like, okay, this thing, they, they believe. They, they absolutely think that they can beat anyone now. Well, and Rob Curl tell you about how there was at one point in that season a goaltending controversy because uh, Kiprasov got hurt and Turek came in and played pretty well. And people were like, well, do you go back to Kiprasov or do you keep Turek rolling? I think that we know the correct answer. But um, at the time, there was a bit of a conversation about that in 04. A few more for you. 2008 on this date, game one of a first-round series between the Calgary Flames and San Jose Sharks. I remember this game vividly. I remember exactly where I was. I was watching it at the now defunct bar Rembrandt's on 4th Street just before 20th Avenue Northwest and uh, I remember watching it because the Sharks were supposed to mop the floor with the Flames that year Calgary goes out and Stefan Yell was the hero that night he scored a couple of goals Flames held on for a 3-2 win to take a 1-0 series lead on the Sharks. They pushed the Sharks to Game 7 of that series. That series included the big comeback win when uh, Corey Sarich leveled Patrick Marlowe. That'll be in a future this date in Flames sure. history. But Stefan Yell, two goals. Flames take a 1-0 series lead. Two more for you. Uh, let's go back to this date in 2015. Perhaps the biggest empty net goal scored ever in Calgary Flames history. This was this date, 2015, Flames and L.A kings russell picks it up gives it to gaudreau and he'll lock it out to center Monahan to hoodler he scores place was bonkers that night one of the loudest buildings i've ever been a part of was game 81 of the 2014-15 season hoodler scores the empty net goal flames win 3-1 clinch a playoff spot eliminating the defending stanley cup champion la kings in the process nutso night uh at the Scotiabank saddle dome that was this date in 2015 and then one year later april 9th 2016 pinder do you remember goal per game patrick seeloff 
Seeloff a shot. He scores! Patrick Seeloff with a sharp angle backhand shot that goes right through Darcy Kemper. And in his first career National Hockey League game, Patrick Seeloff scores his first NHL goal and a couple of quick ones give the Flames a 2-1 to one lead. They would win that game 2-1. to one. Nicholas Backstrom in net, 35 saves against his former team. Uh, Patrick Seeloff uh, started his goal-per-game career. He played one NHL game that year, had one goal. He would also suit up for one NHL game a few years later with the Ottawa Senators and would score a goal. Patrick Seeloff has two NHL games and two NHL goals. <laughs> That's likely how his NHL career is going to end, the former third-round pick of the Calgary Flames. God, just can't get a chance again. It's, uh, that's what happens when you Well, you know, when you're cussing your own teammates in practice. I was going to say, wasn't it him that just help you. leveled Clark MacArthur and the it bunch sure of the was. Sens went in after practice. him? Yep. Training camp, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was yep. not good. Not Way to endear yourself to your new all. team. Uh, a couple quick ones. You talk about the relocation. If fans in Atlanta were sour to watch the Flames go that far, how do fans in Quebec feel? We remember how the Nordiques turned to Avs did very early in their tenure. And then uh, the other one, of course, you referenced, uh, you heard Derek's call, the game against the Kings. That was the find away flames year, Pat, was it not? With sure Bob Hartley. Yeah, yep, it sure are. was. And they went all the way to uh, game five of round two of that season. Okay, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, Jeff Snyder joins us. Also, Tommy Wielden Jr. joins us this hour. And at the top of the hour, our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. Happy Thursday. That's actually a Friday. Have a nice long week. Yeah. It's Pinder and Steinberg back next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And now our weekly chat with the one and only Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us this afternoon. A little bit later on this hour, we'll also hear from Tommy Wielden Jr. of Cavalry FC. How you hanging in, Snides? What's going on, man? How we doing? Doing all right, brother. Doing the best we can. Um, staying with it as, as much as we can. What's going on with you? Right. What, what's going on on a sports talk radio show when there's no sports? What do you guys do? What do you guys do all day? We uh, talk a lot about nothing, and uh, that's really about it. And then whenever there's sports news, we really talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of talk about nothing. If I'm being perfectly honest, which what, is okay. This whole, it's it's okay. It's okay. But what happened to this whole Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson? Uh, did that not go like Dana White buying an island? Are we not watching some UFC sometime soon? Like, I love it how, like, all of this goes down and we go, like, right back to, like, you know, being gladiators and, and that's all we got. Like, WrestleMania, like, what's going on here? I don't know. Uh, Major League Baseball wants to come back in May, apparently, and play all their games out of Arizona. So there's there's lots of reports out there about what's going to happen. But at this point, like, I'll be – I'm skeptical of all of it until I see it. Now, I know WrestleMania was able to go ahead. They did that. Um, but, you know, this whole idea of UFC 249 going forward later on this month, it's like it's, it's a great thought. But until I see it, I won't believe it. Um, same is true with the Major League Baseball idea. Now, we do know this. Uh, the National Lacrosse League canceled their regular season yesterday but still uh still left the door open for potentially the postseason i can't imagine that news surprised you at all yeah no i think um you know the games are so hard to i think the big thing that people kind of take 
you know, take out of the equation when you think about it is that, you know, a lot of these teams are associated with NHL franchises. And I, I imagine the highest margin, you know, biggest grossing product would be the NHL season. I would imagine that, that, that these guys are looking to salvage, you know, if I'm the Calgary Flames and, you know, I'm looking to salvage what I can from a season for the Flames rather than the Roughnecks, if you have to pick one or the other, which is just a natural, that's a, the, the natural order of things. It's disappointing. Um, but, you know, it's certainly understandable. And, you know, for the foreseeable future here, I think we're, you know, we're looking at May and June sort of evaporating on us and hopefully we're back a little bit sooner than later, but um, that makes a lot of sense. I'm talking to some of the guys and, you know, it is what it is, right? You know, it's hard to, it's disappointing. It's upsetting. Um, I had a conversation with Adam Lowry the other day. Um, you know, he's obviously with the Jets and, and chatted briefly about, you know, what that means for the owners. I think the NHL has been in, uh, in, in communication with a lot of the guys, which is great, but, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I think the NLL season being, being canceled is a byproduct of, of trying to do what you know ownership groups can to salvage what they can of uh, of remaining you know NHL seasons as well. Now they did keep the door open for the playoffs, and we'll we'll see if that ends up coming to pass or not. But tell me about like not every NLL team is affiliated to an NHL team. I mean there are some independent NLL teams, and and these teams operate on, on a pretty thin margin. Like what could uh, what could this do to a lot of teams? How much? How worrying is that? Knowing that this is this is not a big business in the National Lacrosse League. Yeah, you know, I I, I think that a lot of the guys are with with the addition of Nick Sakavich and you know he was on in the early stages of uh, of um, you know the NLS soccer leagues and and that's his background. Um, you know, I think a lot of the guys that are involved with this on a smaller perspective, meaning non-NHL franchises, I think they're they're long on on the play here. So, you know, does it does it put a dent in their balance sheet? For sure, it does. But they're also saving a lot on expenses as well, right? So, you know, the same way that that um, you know you'd have a team like you know Georgia renting facility space, um, you know, they're not paying that anymore. They're not paying the right. overhead that's associated with some of those margins too. So. I think that the guys are expecting to go long on this and, and that's the play. Um, so I, I don't know if it's going to hurt as much, um, you know, as we potentially think it would. Um, you know, I, I certainly hope it doesn't, but I, I would imagine that these guys are in it for the long haul. And, and um, you know, I think the losses that they're experiencing are probably on par, you know, if not, you know, I would imagine, you know, obviously more, but on par with losses that they kind of take every year as they, as they look to build this thing. I don't know how many, you know, NLL franchises make money currently. That's, it's all about growth uh, right now in, in that business. What about for, uh, give me the impact on players, just because this is a league that, you know, a lot of these guys, most of the guys who play aren't full-time lacrosse players, and, and they instead, you know, they're very good at lacrosse, they're elite players, but uh, they also have other jobs, or, or they're playing in multiple leagues to play lacrosse full-time. What does this mean to the player? What's the impact on, on the guys actually playing the sport? I think there's two sort of levels of impact. Um, one would be the impact on, you know, guys that are full-time guys. Um, you know, there are some out there. I know I was when I played. This would have been, you know, a real challenge, uh, you know, for, for me if I was still competing in the league. Um, I, I believe that, the, the, that they are still getting paid, uh, which is solid on the NLL. Um, you know, the guys are, you know, the, granted, guys aren't compensated a lot, but there's a lot of guys, you know, <laughs> a guy like, you know, Dylan Kinnear is a kid who came up through our program, um, you know, he's with the Colorado Mammoth. He's a student, and and it was a, a good source of revenue for him. Um, you know, if you're making between ten and twenty thousand bucks U.S. 
um, you know, right now that that's able to help sustain you um, even in a tough period. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, you know, guys have regular jobs that they're missing out on as well. So I, I think it's really positive that the NLL committed to continue to, to pay these guys as other sports leagues. I think that that's, um, you know, it's a solid thing to do. Um, you know, the, the interesting part is when it comes down to guys playing, whether in, they're in major league lacrosse or the PLL, um, you know, those seasons overlap, as we know, uh, the PLL would be kicking up May, June, um, if the NLL extends to that, um, there is a really interesting sort of problem that arises there because there are guys that play in the PLL and the PLL does pay well. So, you know, the, it's going to be interesting to see when those things kind of cross over. And if the PLL can run a season and salvage a season, I know that they're going to. So does that pull a lot of the NLL guys? What is, how does that work? And I imagine that those groups are, are talking to one another. It'll be interesting to see what transpires over the next uh, month or so here. Jeff Snyder's with us, our uh, Calgary Roughnecks analyst. The NLL has canceled their regular season, and also with Elevate Lacrosse. And you know, you're kind of having to be creative when it comes to what's happening at, at Elevate right now. Tell us the latest there, my man. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think just everything that's going on in the city right now. You know, Calgary is one hell of a resilient city. And I look at Alberta and you know, unemployment and everything that's going on here. Like, there's. You know, I'm really proud of our community and our city, and and you know I think it just it, it means you know something really to go through the adversity that we've gone through collectively, you know, as Calgarians over the last you know god two years, if you want to call it, and then just you know pile it on. I think we're as resilient as as you know as as any you know metropolis in the world. Uh, you know I'm proud to be a part of it, and it's it's great that we've got such support from our community. Um, you know, Bob, Bob came off surgery. He's, he's walking, he's doing great. And now he's out, you know, shooting video and working with kids in the community. We just launched a, a connected program. So we're, um, we're actually doing one-on-one lessons, one-on-one feedback where kids can, you know, stay socially distant, but still get some coaching. So, um, what happens is, uh, you know, they submit a request on things that they want to work on. Uh, we follow up with a call, um, you know, to get kind of an idea of what they're looking for. They go, we put together a bit of a practice plan for them to go out on their own and do some work. And then they come back, they fire off some video on, on some of the things that they worked on. And then, you know, we're reviewing tape and providing feedback. So kids can continue to, you know, to develop their skills as they see fit. Um, you know, we've got a critical mass of like 10 per week. So we're filling up really quick, which is cool. And then we've done a, uh, a show your character campaign on just how you're committing in the community and, and helping out around the house. Um, and then we've also done a leaderboard. So we're, we're challenging kids to go out and we're posting results based on the reps that the kids put in during the week. Um, and then, you know, doing giveaways and, and providing, you know, fun stuff to make sure that we're just continuing to engage with the kids that participate in our program and the lacrosse community as a whole. So it's allowed us the opportunity, the same as everybody else to, to be pragmatic and, and to try and shift and do things a little bit differently and, and, um, you know, still contribute on the level that we, you know, we aspire to contribute on just as Calgarians as a whole, but you know, as a as a small business as well, we're we're still fighting for our lives just like everybody else. So, um, you know, the push has been the adversity is great. You know, we preach it all the time. Um, hopefully, it doesn't last too long, but it's uh, allowed us and afforded us an opportunity to go and get creative with respect to how we're delivering program and leadership to the community as a whole. Great stuff, Snides. It is great to catch up with you. We'll do it again next week. Enjoy your long weekend, whatever it might consist of. Uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you next week, brother. <laughs> you got it, man. Looking forward to chatting with you guys soon. Keep up what you're doing. 
He's Jeff Snyder of Elevate Lacrosse joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons right now, as you could expect, but they are still open. They've got uh, pickup and delivery available right now. Incredible food at Atlas Pizza. Call them at 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. And make sure you check out uh, Jeff Snyder and the gang at Elevate Lacrosse. They're uh, doing their best to stay involved in the community during these tough times. ElevateLacrosse.com. Calm. Okay, coming up next, Tommy Wielden Jr. of Cavalry FC. It's a quick little show on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it's uh, 2.51. Welcome back. Pinder and Steinberg rolls on the Thursday that feels like a Friday, which is even extra Friday-like, given we will disappear at 4 o'clock, make way for Blue Jays and Phillies. Game 4, the 1993. Three World Series, and our next guest is actually a man with encyclopedic knowledge of the 1993 World Series, Tommy Wilden Jr. Uh, I think I have that right. Is that right, Tommy? Big 93 That's World Series. I know who was on first base that day. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> in Game Three, they went with Paul Molitor, not John Olrude, who had one of the seasons in the history of the sport. But uh, Molitor was hot. Proved to be a savvy decision by Cito Gaston, but again, not your lane necessarily. Uh, how are you? How is uh, what the English game you were telling us a week ago? You were you were watching, getting into that series. Yeah, nailed that one. Uh, I've done that one. I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I, I think for me, it was uh, I like historic origins. So you know, of any 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 sport, any beginnings i think it's always good it takes you on a bit of a a, a journey so I, I polished that one off um and i think i might actually just switch gears now literally and figuratively because i've moved into the formula one drive to survive one and i tell you i've been hooked on that one that one got a lot of uh positive comments the nhl has made some players available for some video conferences with media and i think it was about a week and a half ago maybe two weeks ago but the two big uh, takeaways were everyone was disturbed by the Tiger King and the players really liked the F1 stuff on Netflix. Uh, I guess uh, Pat would be the guy to ask because he's the huge F1 aficionado, but there isn't a ton of access uh, typically for the sport with media. So this mm. stuff is so unprecedented that everyone just absolutely is falling over themselves. Tell us more. Yeah. Do you know, I love to, I, I can't for the life of me do that Tiger King thing. I just want to go down that path. I mean, you know, everybody's got, you know, other parts of their life that you you, you don't really want to go digging into. And I, I always feel better about myself watching stuff that inspires or motivates me. And I tell you, the Formula One is just a whole different world that I didn't know a lot about. I'm not a massive Formula One fan, but, you know, you, you know and you hear of these, you know, world-class stars like Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, and you, you follow them from afar. But... What this documentary does really, really well is uh, it just gets behind the scenes and shows you, you know, the manufacturers, the team owners, the money, the glitz, the glamour, the pressure cooker environment, the the risk that these drivers take um, every time they get into their seat. I think it does. It literally takes you on a journey, and that's what all good documentaries do. So, yeah, for those that you know need something a little bit different this Easter weekend, give it a try. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Um, I know my brother got me onto it, so. Uh, I took his uh, recommendations wisely. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And it's, uh, again, anyone that's seen it recommends it. There's not a bad review out there that I've heard. So good one mm. there. Tommy Wilden Jr. joining us, uh, head coach GM of Cavalry FC. 
Uh, the CPL, like all other sports leagues, not named the Bell Russian Soccer League, uh, at a pause right now. Uh, have you got a good explanation of what's going on over there in Belarus? Is that uh, that's an unusual tact they've they've uh, they've made? Yeah, it is, and I think even you know, I, I look at how we as a country dealt with it, and I mean, fair play, we we went the the way of you know just shutting it down early and. Um, Taking any you know high, any high risk or low risk or whatever it was in the initial early onset, I think as a country we locked up pretty quickly. And then you know I've still got family and friends in England, and we were about ten days ahead of them, and they weren't taking it serious. And even some now you you know getting asked to leave the beaches or the public areas and still haven't been educated enough. And, and there's a country now where you know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, has now contracted uh, the the coronavirus. Mm. So. I, I don't know what's going on there. I have no um, sources to tell me why that's happening in, in, in Belarus. But you know, I think it is it's something where the majority of the world is unified on that we got to do our bit. And as frustrating as it is, the only we're not going to war like they did. You know, great grandparents and things like that fled off to different countries and going into these planes. And you know, we're actually asked to stay at home with all our electronics and all our you know fridges mm-hmm. full of food. Um, so I think if we can all just do that and embrace that, we'll come out of it, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, our trenches are sofas with streaming TV yeah. services in front of us and gaming systems that are supercomputers. Like, yeah, we if this is the the great war we have to fight, I feel yeah. like we're in much better shape than prior generations, right? Uh, massively, and I think perspective is is a, is a massive thing, you know. Uh, and, and I talk about that even at our dinner table. Just this, this is our, this is our generation's battle. And you know, really, on the positive side of it, if we're to just stay at home with the people closest to us, that's not a bad war to be in. And then there's there's people on the front lines now in the service industry and the care workers. They're the ones that are now they're going into dangerous territory, but they're doing it for us. So the least we can do for them is stay the hell at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Well said. Uh, what have you done as a family? You know, at the dinner table, is is F one family friendly? Or are you are you visiting some film classics as as a group? What's uh, what's the pub? Yeah, yeah, the, the group every weekend is a, is a movie weekend. Uh, my wife and I we will watch uh, different shows. We're actually looking for one together because right now me and my youngest boy are on the Formula One series, something a bit different. Or she catches mm-hmm. up with uh, you know New Amsterdam's and Grey Anatomy and things like that. Uh, but no, as a as a family, what's been nice about this? So every silver lining is as we sit down and have a, you know, our, 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 we have breakfast together generally, lunch, and then a nice evening meal. And for us, we've brought out, you know, this this cards, um, you know, moments, life moments. So you pick a card and it asks you, you know, what was the happiest moment in your life, and can you explain it or you know, what makes you sad? Can you explain why it makes you sad? You know, what yeah. gets you? And, and just, can you tell me about the best place you've ever visited in the world? And then it just creates a topic of conversation because, you know, you want to move away from, you know, the current affairs and it does create a little bit of uh, opportunity to do that. And, and it, it's been very helpful for us as a family and, you know, and I always encourage everyone at least have a laugh each day, just, you know, whether I'm down in the basement playing soccer with my, my youngest or up at the dinner table and we're putting away the dishes, you've got to have a little bit of a laugh as well. So um, that's how we keep sane. Very good. Uh, what's the latest in communication with your club? I know uh, we have the the video technology that you can meet with the guys. Mm. I, I'm sure that that's something that hasn't gone away, that, that, that you're probably even encouraging them on their own to do that as much as they can with each other and with family. 
Yeah, do you know what we do? And uh, we we have these uh, daily meetings. Um, so in the mornings now we've we've got technical sessions, and uh, it's probably the smallest area I've ever had to coach in. And I tell the players they just need a three by three area and a ball, and whether they have markers or rollers or shoes, and that's the area we work on. And it's basically it's about forty five minutes, and it's a, it's almost like a hit workout where. You know, it's cuts and turns, twists and, and pulls and um, changes of direction. And uh, it, it, it gets the pulse rate up, definitely. It gets the lads connected and uh, and it's been really good. So every every second day we have these technical hit workouts and the opposite days they have a physical workout. And now the weather's nice. The lads are out getting fresh air and, and getting their heart rate up. But it's, it's important. It's like every good artist must have a paintbrush in hand. They can't just have a great canvas. Um, so it's mm-hmm. important that the players still have connections with the football and with each other. And then as we transpire into the fitness one, it's great because our sports scientists get on there. And then the lads, you know, while they're doing their exercises, whether it's in their basement or in their garage, wherever they are, they then have their camaraderie and their banter across from one another. And it's healthy because they need it. And uh, that's that's what's kept us together. And in the afternoon, we um, we do our tactics meetings. So we literally do our chalk talks and video reviews as as, as we would be doing if we we're in the season. Uh, just to stay sharp because what we want to do is when the season does come back and, and we're confident it will at some point, um, we want to make sure we go in with a sharpened axe on many fronts, not just the physical front. We're still in contact with the ball and we're still a cerebral group that we're looking at you know, different ways to, um, to play the game with our mind as well. I love it. Good catching up as always. We will uh, chat next week. Uh, Good luck uh, with this long weekend. Stay in put and uh, enjoy the snow shoveling tomorrow that's on the way. <laughs> All right, take care. Thanks for Tommy Wilden Jr. He's the head coach and general manager of Cavalry FC joining us on this abbreviated Thursday show. Reminder, we're an hour away from Blue Jays baseball. Jays-Phillies game four. Todd Stottlemyre against Tommy Green. Okay. Jays are up 2-1 in the series, and Pat's predicted a wild one here. I don't know what he's getting at. Uh, we'll... Tell you a little more as we get closer to that. But our NHL insider is next. Chris Johnson around the corner. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Chris Johnston brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. CJ, let's uh, start here. We welcome in our NHL insider from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. NHL Central Scouting final rankings came out earlier this week. No surprise that Alexis Lafreniere tops the list. But did anything stand out to you when you took a quick perusal of those final 2020 draft rankings? No, I mean, there wasn't anything too shocking in there. I think it's it's going to be a weird year, though, for the draft. I mean, everything's weird, of course, but the, the fact that, you know, that none of these prospects got to play in playoff games, there was no under 18 tournament, um, you know, a lot of the events, I guess, that, that you would typically see for them to, to finish their seasons off weren't there. And, and I think on top of that, you know, teams are in a weird spot where, you know, they're not getting together with their scouts in, in quite the same way. And so, you know, I think that the finalizing of the team lists is, is probably what's most important. Uh, obviously, the NHL does it uh, and, and generates some discussion, but, you know, each team does this this process on their own. And, and you know, I, in talking to some, some people who work for teams, I think it will be a little bit more difficult this season. I think a lot of them, you know, do it during the year, say in February, 
uh, you know, they, as they go along and, and, you know, they identify players they want to get extra viewings on. Well, uh, as of March 11th, there and about all those potential viewings went out the window. And so, um, you know, obviously they, in today's day and age, you can still watch video and do all kinds of things to get that information. But, you know, I do think that the teams are feeling a little uneasy about uh, the process of finalizing their list, mm-hmm. just, just with not getting that extra time to view them and not kind of having this go as normal. There's, there's kind of a rhythm and a routine uh, to, to how the scouts go about this usually. So what do you think that does to the, the draft and, and how does it affect the you know, potential livelihood or, or futures of, of some of these top prospects? Like, does, do, do you think it has a, a big-time effect on, on what we see draft order-wise when it's all said and done? I, I think later in the draft, especially, that's, that's going to be the case. You know, teams are going to have to you – know, I think they're flying a little bit more blind. And, and again, I know it's, it's kind of crazy to say that. There's not as many secrets now as there were going into the entry draft 30 years ago where, you know, literally there could be players in that draft that, that teams might not know about or wouldn't have seen at all. Uh, video wouldn't be available. Stats wouldn't be available. I mean, all those things nowadays, there's not so many secrets. But I, I just think that um, there's going to be a little bit less confidence probably – uh, in those team rooms in the list that they finalized, and they're going to have to go with their their instincts on players. You know, I, I think around the top of the draft, as I mentioned, you know, there's, there's not so there's not as much there. I mean, those those players have all been heavily scouted by any of the teams uh, that that knew that they were going to be in the mix to you know potentially draft somewhere in the top five or the top ten. Um, but you know, certainly you get into the second, third, fourth, fifth round, you're 100 plus picks into the draft. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a little less comfortable. Uh, for the head scouts and and the general managers that are making those calls, I uh, I've been talking to some of the people that I know in the CFL and and you know they, they've got a draft coming up at the end of April, and the the thing that's been interesting for them is that you know the the players that could potentially go and it's it's a different league and and they're drafting only people from Canada so on and so forth but prospects have kind of had to get creative they've been sending videos of measurables like their vertical jump and their 40 and their weight and their height they've been sending videos to try and get GMs and scouts appraised do you think that you know agents for some of these prospects in the NHL are going to be doing creative things and different things in terms of trying to get the word out on on some of their clients here well, it's funny. I haven't heard of anyone doing that, but I absolutely do believe it's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's probably still a little soon because let's face it, the draft's already been postponed. You know, I think we're looking at right. a July at the earliest draft in the NHL. And obviously there's still a hope to play the season. So it's potential September draft. But, you know, the one thing we do know is they're not going to have a draft combine. And so, you know, that was where it'd be more than a hundred of the, the top prospects are there. Uh, getting standardized testing and that's done by the league and the results are shared with everyone. There, there's sort of a, a baseline to that. And that's, that's not going to happen no matter what now goes on, um, you know, with, with when the draft goes and, and what the format's like. And so, you know, I, I would think as part of that, you're going to have, especially players that feel like maybe, um, you know, the results on the ice aren't, aren't getting them the same amount of attention that they feel that they may have some, some physical attributes or some, some those sort of tests that that can work in their favor. I absolutely would think that their agents or, or their advisors are going to be, you know, circulating that information and, you know, and I, and I can't blame them. You know, the one thing the teams are still allowed to do is talk to prospects. Obviously right now it's a, a zoom or FaceTime kind of world. And, and so uh, those, those sort of interviews that you see go on before the draft will still be happening uh, in this window here. So, so I think the, on the personality side, 
Uh, there's still an opportunity for the players to to get across certain things, but you know I, I do think that that you're going to see something like what you're mentioning the CFL and there's a good story idea for me. I should start uh, asking around to see if that's already <laughs> kicked up just yet. What uh, from just an overall look at the draft? I think that you know we've talked about this before. Maybe it's you know more of a uh, a conference call type thing. I think they'd still probably find a way to do it for television. But just because we don't know when the draft is going to happen and what it's going to look like, we've gotten very conditioned to seeing you and and Elliot breaking huge trades on draft day. Like I remember you coming up to me on the draft floor a couple of years ago in Dallas and saying, hey, here's what I'm hearing. Lindholm and, and Hannafin are coming to the Flames. You're like, holy yeah, yeah. cow, okay. Um, like, I, I wonder, like, the, the draft probably doesn't have that same type of feel to it this year because of how different it's going to be. Right, and and part of what fuels that is the fact that everyone's there in person, right? And and you, you we see assistant GMs or general managers walk across to another table and have a quick chat, and I think a lot of those trades are – you know, obviously, like the trade deadline, I think a lot of the work goes in ahead of time. Teams generally know what what might be out there and those types of things. But a lot of them get finalized on the draft floor. A team decides to to make a move on something, and and that that whole dynamic could shift. I, I do know the league would still prefer, I think, to have a a watered down version or a smaller pared down version uh, of the draft. You know, ideally, where you have some representatives or a couple representatives from each team, and maybe they. The, the top prospects in, in the same room, uh, obviously much less uh, pomp and circumstances. You see when it's in an NHL building and the stands are full and you have 25 scouts on the floor for each team and those types of things. But uh, I do think the preference right now, if it's going to be allowable, is at least to do what they did uh, back in 05. The Sidney Crosby draft was done mm-hmm. essentially in a hotel conference room. It was a very much scaled down version of a regular draft after the 0405 lockout. But you know, I do think the league would still hope to do that. Uh, but they are watching closely uh, coming up here. The NFL is going to do a completely virtual draft uh, where each yeah. team is, is in its its own base and and um, you know its own war room, and and it's all done basically over cameras and and all that type of thing. So you know, I know they're going to watch that and and know that it it might be what they're forced to do. But I think ultimately the league would like some face to face aspect to the draft and. If you at least get the GMs there, you know I still think we're we're going to see some of that trade activity, maybe at least a, a little less buzzy than normal, but but maybe see a couple of those things uh, where where the chatter picks up. Okay, he is Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. Yeah, and CJ, just to follow up on the draft stuff, I mean there's a lottery for a reason. You need to see the standings at the end of the year, and then lottery balls go and just like we know how picks, I guess, 28, 29, 30, 31 are assigned, you're still of the mind that uh, until there's a final end date for the season or a cancellation that we won't have a draft date. And, and I, I guess uh, either way that could lead to a, a lot more likelihood of people being in the same room and that not being as, as troublesome as it would be with the, the, the original draft date. Yes, exactly. And And look, I mean, there's still a scenario where if every team, if the season's done at this point right now, I mean, there, there's probably an argument that every team should have at least some small chance at number one. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying for sure that's going to happen, but uh, if, if teams don't get the benefit of being in the playoffs, I, I think there's at least a, some argument that they should have uh, a ball in the lottery, so to speak. And so, you know, I don't know how that exactly will be ironed out, but but they can't even really think about the lottery until they know what the playoffs are going to be. I mean, 
if we ended up with an expanded playoff format, you know, which has been talked about with 20 teams, say, or 24 teams, you know, I think the odds will go better to the seven or 11 that, that don't make it. Uh, so I, I think that we're going to see different lottery odds one way or another this year than they've been in the past. And then they can't really set those until they know what the season's going to look like. And then finally, I mean, if there's a playoffs that does dictate those last few spots of the first round. And so, you know, they, they can't even, you know, I've seen some people talking with us, it's, it's basically in as much a holding pattern as the playoffs are right now until they know if they can play, until they know what that play might look like. Uh, I don't even think that they can really establish what the lottery is. And, and so, um, you know, it could go a couple of ways. I'd be very fascinated. I obviously don't want to see the whole season wiped out, but, you know, I would think that there's at least an argument then that even the number one overall team in the league should have some small chance at the number one pick because they didn't get the benefit of playing in the playoffs. That's that's normally there. Interesting. I, I don't know how well that would go over if one of those low probability teams ended up getting Lafreniere, but uh, we yeah, shall imagine Detroit after suffering and... through whatever 68, yeah. 70 games of that season they just had, and you know they see Boston or St. Louis or Philly or one of the good teams in the league pick pick ahead of them. I wouldn't sit too well, I'm sure. Okay, over to Europe we go. Florence Schelling is the first ever female general manager of uh, a men's club at the top level in her country. Uh, that in Switzerland. What's the significance of this? Because this feels very different than Manu Marion playing a period, right? Very, very different. And and I think it's significant on a number of levels. I mean, first of all, she's only 31. And so, you know, as we know, there's, there's not too many general managers at that age at the top level of sport anywhere. And uh, obviously the fact that she's a woman, uh, you know, helped make this news, you know, well outside of Europe. I think the, the other important thing for anyone who doesn't follow, you know, the European side of hockey is, is burn is, is that the, the team that draws the highest attendance of any team outside of the NHL. I mean, this is a major club in, in European hockey, a major club in Swiss hockey. And when they started out doing their search for a new sporting director, which is what the equivalent that we would call general manager, you know, they were looking through all the established names that, that were out there in, in their country. And so it would be equivalent to an NHL team, you know, calling up like a Ken Holland or a, Lou Lamorello or, you know, these type of names, you know, people that, that are, are very familiar to those in the sport and then deciding on a 31-year-old woman who was a longtime national team goaltender who's worked for the IIHF. She, she's done some coaching since her career ended, and she does have a master's degree uh, having gone to school over in Chicago at Northeastern University. So, um, you know, I think it's a, a very interesting development. And, you know, one thing that the, the CEO of the team said is that, they basically decided in talking to all those old candidates that if they went with one of them, uh, they'd get familiar results and they wanted to disrupt the system and uh, bring in someone with new ideas and new thoughts and a different perspective. And you know, I think that this will, it's kind of a, a big mile marker. You know, I think this is happening in general. If we look at the way the new Seattle team has done its hiring, they've, they've tried to prioritize having 50, 50 uh, male, female split in their organization. They're, you know, what I would call a leader on the NHL side in terms of, promoting women and putting women in, in positions of power in the organization. I think this sort of thing is happening, but this is a major breakthrough with a big team. And, uh, you know, it's going to be going to be fascinating to see how Florence does. Yeah. And it does sort of feel like sports is the, uh, the last safe haven for the, the quote old boys club. Like, I don't know why a man would be better at this job than a woman. And yet you don't find any female AGMs around the league, nor GMs, nor head coaches. Now we're starting to see some positions near those, but I mean, had, had, what's your thought on where the sport could be or should be uh, moving forward? 
Well, I think it's going to move in this direction, and I think quite quickly, quite honestly. I mean, even right now, uh, Alexi Lafreniere, his, his agent is a woman by the name of Emily Castingay, uh, you know, a female agent and, and who has a major client in hockey. I mean, that, that isn't something we've seen a lot of. Uh, you know, I, I think Seattle is the best example where, you know, they had Alex Mag- Mag- Mandricki, uh, you know, hired early, and she helped actually identify Ron Francis as their GM candidate. She was one of the first into the organization. They've since hired, you know, Cammy Granato as a scout and a whole host of other women. Um, you know, I, I do think that we're going to see this change in the next five years in a pretty dramatic way. And, and in fact, I, I do think the door is already sort of cracking open here. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that's about time. I mean, it doesn't make much sense to me that whether it's a man or a woman or someone of a specific background, I mean, I, I think that diversity is, is where you, you find uh, you make the best decisions when, when you can blend the opinions and perspectives of different people. And, and, you know, it's, it's one thing that, you know, I know some teams of the, the Leafs to this point, haven't put anyone maybe in a, in a frontline position. That's a woman, but, you know, since Kyle Dubas has been there, he's, he's hired a number of women behind the scenes and he's mentioned, he sees it as a, you know, a little bit of um, a, an area where the Leafs feel that they can make gains because so many uh, organizations haven't really considered women for certain jobs that the Leafs have given them. So, um, yeah, I do think that this is going to turn pretty quickly and, and Seattle is going to be a leader on this side of the pond. And, you know, certainly someone like Florence Schelling getting that job in Bern is, is, is that's, a, that's a huge piece of news in, in the hockey world. Uh, NBA has uh, looked like they're circling around a horse competition that will be televised. Just your initial reaction. It sounds like Chris Paul, Trey Young, uh, amongst some NBA alums and some WNBA players as well. Uh, is this something the NHL will be watching closely? For sure. I mean, we're already seeing them do more digitally, I think, than we've ever seen in the past. You know, last night they had basically the entire St. Louis Blues team from last year together on a giant Zoom call. Uh, you know, P.K. Subban uh, is, is doing some sort of uh, game show type of, of platform that was announced. You know, I think the league <laughs> recognizes the importance of trying to stay relevant, of, of looking for different ways um, to, to showcase the, the, the personalities around the sport during this pause. And, you know, would not surprise me if there's some sort of copycat to be derived out of this. I mean, the, the, the problem that they have is I think horse actually works perfect in isolation. Uh, you know, obviously it's you shoot from this spot and if, if I hit it, then you've got to hit it or else you get a letter. I mean, you, you can do that not in the same gym or at the same area. And I think you can mimic that. It's a little tougher um, from a skills perspective in hockey, but you know, I, I have no doubt that they're exploring every way that they can do this because, you know, I think all the leagues have some degree of fear about just losing a little bit of sight in the public consciousness. And obviously there's, there is more important things you know that goes into all this, but you know, all these sports are trying to protect their businesses as well as they can. And I think um, remain as relevant as they can. And it's a challenge and it's a challenge that most of them didn't, do any prep work for, you know, two weeks before NHL season pause. I don't think there's very many people with uh, a position of power in the league that had any belief that we'd be sitting here on what should be the, the second day of the Stanley cup playoffs with, with no games and no idea of the future in sight. So, you know, a lot of this is being developed on the fly. And, um, you know, I, I do think you're going to see the NHL do more and more to try to, to, to get the athletes out there and, and get keep people interested in what they're doing. Yeah, well, and you know what? Like, it's funny. Two weeks before the league shut down, probably wasn't far off that timeline where they said, "Oh, look at this! The cap could be as high as." That kind of looks silly in hindsight. Right, right. And there was like that was a day of news, right? People talked about it. I'm sure, yeah. you know, we did it on the show, and and it yeah. was 
immediately irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as we saw, oh, maybe the Sharks will play in front of an empty stadium. It's like, well, there goes that cap. Sorry about that. That was fun for about three days. Uh, Chris Johnson's with us. What I would do this summer, you know, where am I going to go on vacation? I think all that's irrelevant too. (laughs) Oh, dear. That doesn't feel good. Pinder and Steinberg with Chris Johnson. (laughs) Uh, CJ, tell us, what do we know about the status of Colby Cave right now of the Oilers organization? That news kind of hit the NHL world like a ton of bricks a couple of days ago. What's what's the latest on Colby? Well, we know he's in a tough fight right now. You know, he's still in a medically induced coma. Uh, he had some, some sort of tumor removed uh, from his brain that was pressing down on his brain. Uh, I don't have the, the medical terminology, but apparently it's it's literally a three in one million chance that, that you would have the specific condition that he found himself with. You know, obviously as a healthy 25-year-old athlete, he didn't have any prior knowledge that this was something that he was dealing with and you know had headaches and, and went to the hospital and you know he, he hasn't he hasn't woken up since i mean he's under uh, the control of the, of the doctors there uh, unfortunately his wife emily and his family aren't able to to go see him in hospital in, in toronto here because of everything going on with covid 19 and so you know i i don't i don't think any of us can even process what that would be like if it's someone you knew or, or, or cared about someone in your family to, at the best of times or at any time, but to have it happen during this period where so much uncertainty in the world as it is, I mean, just an awful, awful thing. And, you know, at this point, all we, all we really know is, is they're, they're asking for prayers and good thoughts for them because, you know, I, I don't know that it's, that, the, that what's going to happen next. I don't know that there's anyone really knows even the doctors. And so, you know, you're, you're hoping for good news. You're hoping for a miracle and that, he comes out of this okay, but, you know, as, as of the last update, uh, he's still in, in a coma, and, you know, we, we don't really know what uh, what we're going to find uh, when he does wake up from that. So it, it does, like, it, it's been tough to really get a ton of information. Like, is so this does, from how you understand it, like this does sound like a, a pretty dire situation or something that, you know, could could be more than just, okay, well, he's under supervision from doctors. There, there's some very serious potential consequences from this. Yeah, it's definitely potentially dire, you know, and, and, you know, I don't have a lot of specific information about his exact condition, uh, but I do know from the type of operation that he's had and, and the circumstances that he's dealing with that, you know, that even if he does wake up, the, the, you know, there'll have to be determination if there's been any damage to his brain uh, by what he's been through. And obviously, you know, I don't want to raise it as a possibility, but there's not necessarily a guarantee that he would come out of this coma situation. And so okay. you know, that's why we're, we're still very much at a, position where you're just hoping for the best and and you know that he's in in good care and and you know the fact that he is healthy and and you know has a lot of things going in his favor genetically as well you know despite the fact that this is has befallen him is is you know potentially a good thing here and um you know just just hope he comes out of it it's a pretty shocking situation and you know i think made even more traumatic for his family and those that care about yeah. him because they can't be with him you know they they had a walkie-talkie in his room, from what I understand, and we're sort of talking to him through a walkie-talkie. But normally in this position, obviously, a family would be by the bedside and uh, trying to trying to bring him out of that coma at some point. Okay, yeah, that's uh, some scary stuff, no doubt about it. Um, thoughts and prayers to Colby Cave as he continues in this really, really serious fight he's in right now. Um, a couple of it's a couple of things related to the Edmonton Oilers. Number one. Uh, Anton Slepyshev is a guy that has played there before. He decided not to re-sign in Edmonton and stay in the Continental Hockey League, correct? 
Yeah, a little bit of a surprise, I would say. He re-signed for two years with CSK Moscow. And and maybe the surprise is more that, you know, that league's in, in some potential danger. I mean, you, you've, you've had one team fold already due to what's gone on. I think that there's uh, been some doubts about the viability of the KHL for future years and some thought that, you know, some of the top players aren't going to be able to make the salaries they have in the past. And, you know, that, that there was kind of a feeling, and, and again, a lot of this feeling was out there before COVID-19 came around, and that might have changed some thoughts. But, the, you know, a lot of the top Russian players that had the ability to come to North America would choose to do so this summer because, um, you know, the, the outlook, I think, for the KHL hasn't hasn't been as strong as it was in years gone by. And, and the Oilers, you know, were pretty clear about their interest in Flepeshev. They, they've made a contract offer to him. I think that they were, um, you know, really trying to bring him over and obviously – uh, can can use some some help at forward. I think that there's a a need in their organization. I think that there's a, an idea if you're him looking at what's going on with Edmonton that you know there's an idea there's a job there for you. Uh, but instead he he elected to stay in the KHL for two more years and um, you know don't don't know his full reasoning for doing so. But it was a bit of a surprise to me because as I said everything I'd heard in the last month or two was that uh, most of the the top Russian players that have an ability to leave are, are going to look to leave this summer because. I think the, the the financial aspect of the in Russia is going to hit that league pretty hard too. Uh, I believe on a conference call or or a uh, media conference of some sort with uh, Oilers media earlier this week, uh, General Manager Ken Holland said he doesn't from from how he understands it and it stands right now uh, doesn't expect that the Oilers will have to give up that compensatory draft pick to the Flames uh, as part of the condition of the James Neal Milan Lucic trade. Is is that kind of how you understand things right now on that front? It is because, you know, basically the condition isn't met. You know, he didn't score 21 goals. And, you know, I know that there's a yeah, but aspect where he didn't have a chance to, but you know, I think the league views these generally is, is no different than if James Neal had been hurt for the rest of the year and, and didn't get to play the last 12 games or whatever Edmonton had left to try to get those two goals. I think it's it's going to be viewed in black and white in the same way. I, you know, I do think the muddier ones are um, the ones tied to, you know, if a team qualifies for the playoffs, you know, especially if we don't get a playoff. Um, you know, there's certainly still some conditions, I think, that will be a little less black and white, but as far as I understand it, the ones that are sort of termed and, and they're all worded differently too. I mean, we understand them one way, the way we describe them on, on radio or in print, but you know, there's a legal aspect to the exact wording for all these, these trade conditions that, that obviously is important and the league has to make decisions on uh, when ruling on them. But, you know, I do think something as black and white as, you know, that, that Neil had to score 21 goals to have this, this trade condition kick in and obviously Lucic not score more than 10 um, you know, it's, it's going to be viewed as not met if, if there's no more games to play and you stay stuck at 19. Uh, and a final thought, what can you tell us about the gentleman the Toronto Maple Leafs added to their organization earlier this week in uh, Alexander Barbanov? Well, I think for him, he's, he's basically another lottery ticket. You know, that's the way a lot of these, these free agents are. I think NCAA free agents can be this way and certainly more established older players that, that come over from Europe is much the same. I mean, the Leafs are a team perpetually in, in, in the cap jail, you know, as long as they have 40 million tied up in their top four forwards. And now that we're in a world where the cap may not go up or will only go up marginally for the next two or three seasons, uh, they're, they're going to have to find ways to fill the spots around those, those big uh, ticket guys with, with players you know, making close to league minimum. And so I think the benefit for, for Bear Banoff for the Leafs is that he's 25. He's played in the Olympics. He's played the world for Russia. 
He's been playing for St. Petersburg, one of the best teams in the KHL for the last seven years, and he makes 925 grand next year. So there's very little risk uh, in the sense that if it doesn't work out, they can send him to the to the minors, or or he may just leave and choose to go back to Russia, and they won't be uh, held up with a cap hit. And and if he can play, then you, you found a useful player making under a million dollars. And and so, you know, the the Leafs I think are particularly incentivized to give these sort of players a try. Uh, just because they're they're going to be in that that cap trouble not just next season but beyond 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 mm-hmm. all, all those players I mentioned you know all have long term deals and they are very aggressive they have a guy by the name of Jim Pagliafito who basically lives in in Europe during the season spends a ton of time in Russia gets to know the prospects uh, gets to know their families and and so far that's given the Leafs a you know a little bit of I think a, an advantage on their their opponents because you know teams like Arizona for example and Arizona was. The, the, the sort of the, the second place finisher specifically on Barabanov, I don't think that they have quite the same need for for those type of players. I think that they uh, they, they can afford to to not take maybe those risks, and, and they probably don't have as much money in their budget to base one guy in Europe and and have him be over there working these 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 guys all year long. So um, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's probably a guy based on the scouts I talked to that isn't going to be an influential player, but. You know, I think the way the Leafs look at it, even if he can play on their third line and and be useful and make 925 grand, that it's worth uh, making these kind of signings because uh, they definitely are going to have cap trouble as long as we're doing these hits together, guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, I, I've read about him six or seven times, and I didn't notice the extra A any of those times. Barabanov, not Barbanov. I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, thank you, CJ. Appreciate it as always. We will talk to you on Tuesday. No problem, guys. Enjoy your long weekend. I know you've, you've worked hard for it. So. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> you as well. Oh, thank you, <laughs> See you, boys. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Right, yeah, we're especially working hard for it today. Two full hours on the radio. I... I'm going to need a long weekend after this day. This is an absolute grind. Yeah, I might take Monday too, Pat. I just don't know. I'm going to need some time to recover. <laughs> too late to put in a vacation request for Monday? Uh, no, I think I'll be back. We'll Here's be back. We do these conference calls. we got Wild Card Wednesday coming up next, but we do these conference calls with, with Kirsch every week. And uh, this week he's like, just, you know, uh, let me know if you, uh, you know, you're feeling a little, uh, if you need a vacation, uh, we're here to help you out. Like, you know, he's being actually, we do the voice, but he's actually, you know, being a good boss and, and um, a good leader in that respect. And, you know, saying that if we need the time, we can take the time. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking like, what on earth would I ever do on it? Like there's, there's, what would we do on a vacation right now? Like I would do the same thing I'm doing anyway. So I might as well just keep on working. I need something to do. Uh, I have no desire to take a vacation right now. Yeah. I don't know that uh, we're really foregoing a lot of activity by not taking vacation right now. But I also understand that companies are in a spot where if there's a green light at some point and it's summer ish, like everyone's going to be like, well, I'm using it now. So I understand both sides, Pat. I don't uh, judge you for not taking vacation now. And I also don't judge. And eh, yeah, you guys want to maybe use some now if you're feeling burnt out. I get that too. Cause uh, there's got to be somebody. Well, around I mean, the it's different. You've got, summer. you've got kids. So like you might need, you might actually get burnt out. I don't, I don't have those same worries. So like this, 
doing this show keeps me going uh, or, or keeps me from going insane. Um, I don't want to then lose that for a week. Who knows what will come back like when it's all said and done. So. Well, and see, this uh, is where okay. you're, you're off a little because it's like I'd be burnt out if I wasn't working. This job is easier than the hyenas if I had to deal with them. So usually you return from your vacation incredibly excited to go work in a studio and do the show because that's not – nearly as much like herding cats right. as parenting twins <laughs> can be at times. But yeah, it, I, I, safe to say you'll be hearing Pat and I's voices for a while here, I would think, moving forward. Unfortunately. Wildcard Wednesday is next on this wee edition of Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Thursday, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. For Wild Card Wednesday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, happy Thursday on your long weekend. We're not back until Monday. Reminder, top of the hour, Blue Jays-Phillies, game four of the 1993 World Series. I continue to jest about, oh, this could be a high-scoring one. This is one of the craziest games in World Series history tonight, a game where the Blue Jays scored six in the eighth inning to uh, come back and turn a 14-9 deficit into a 15-14 win. Uh, Wild Mitch Williams blows up in this game. Wild thing Mitch Williams blows up. Uh, So this is one that you want to watch. Like Game 4 and Game 6 are the two games that you need to watch or listen to from the 93 World Series. We've got Game 4 coming your way at the top of the hour. Right now, though, Logan Gordon, Ryan Pinder, Pat Steinberg, it's time for some Wild Card Wednesday. Pop culture, personal life. Career, sports, and wild card are the categories. We're hanging here on our wild card Wednesday casino. We've got our big slot machine, and I think Pinder should go first. I, I believe that to, to go into the long weekend, Pinder should go first. I don't like it, but I'll uh, I'll take it, I guess. Uh, I thought we'd establish Logan was Ricky Henry. Career. All right. You ready for it? Yep. Uh, you've been talking about it, Pat. I think the vast majority of people – that are listening, that are out in our society right now, have suffered a little bit on the earnings front with what the pandemic has either brought them in terms of challenges for their business. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your hours are cut back. Maybe uh, some of your side gigs are no longer there. What's your post-pandemic side hustle? Pick a side hustle, boys. Post-pandemic side hustle. You got to make some of that dough back. Because, I mean, here's the thing. Um a lot of the side hustles wouldn't necessarily work during the pandemic. I mean, I guess you could tell me you could drive Uber, but is there really huge demand for moving people around right now? I don't know if that's going to get you much, right? I mean, sure, food delivery and uh, there's a few out there, but I- I'm allowing you the opportunity to make some of this missed cash down the road when things are back to normal. Hmm. Be a good side hustle. Like, you know, I... I, I believe I'm I'm going to start working at a grocery store at some point here, but that's a during pandemic uh, hustle and not really a hustle. You um, can keep it, right? Well, no, but like I'm assuming that, you know, if the NHL comes back, then you're back to working 75, 80 hour weeks again, which I would embrace. Right. Um, my side hustle would be, geez, I, I, I don't know if I'm good at anything else. That's the problem. I'm going to need some time to think. Logo, you got something? Um, nothing great would probably come my way, but I've, I've worked retail before and 
with hours always being uh, kind of random sometimes here at the station and back and forth, it probably needs something a bit uh, flexible like that. So I might have to uh, go back to my retail days and uh, get some hours in that to make up for lost cash. I think that's probably my go-to. It's not a good one. I'm not happy about it, but that would probably be my go-to. Patty, I'm going to a bar. Or I'm going to work That's a bar. That's what I was th- I was going to be a bartender. Create a themed night. Maybe it's like every bartending. every time Nate Pearson starts, I'm bartending for the for the and the Jays games on. Something like that would be up the alley. It would feel somewhat topical, not too far away from the norm and yeah, when you can combine your life passions in booze and sports, I feel like that's a win, right? Um somebody texted in Here's the obvious one. Pat, your side hustle should obviously be DJ Power Play. Done. Obviously. That's it. Um, and I, I talked to our uh, our guy at Hudson's, was was talking to uh, the gents at Hudson's Shaughnessy. I'm like, hey, you know, this is before the pandemic. But I'm like, hey, if you ever wanted to do like uh, a night, I could come down to spin some tunes at Hudson's Shaughnessy. And, uh, DJ some, Power Play. Get some Sportsnet yes. 960 listeners out. We can do yes. like a Sportsnet 960 Friday night at Hudson's uh, oh with, with uh, DJ Power Play spinning the tunes. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. That would be my side hustle. Post-pandemic, I got to get in some bar and uh, start doing the DJ Power Play hustle. Done. I think that, you know what, we should throw a post-pandemic party featuring DJ Powerplay and get a lot of our great sponsors involved. I feel like we're going to need to celebrate normalcy, whether that's months, years, or decades away. Perfect idea. I I think that we already have a plan. I like it. It's a good first question. All right, Logo, you're going to go last just because you've been nailing it, so you get to bat clean up today. Uh, I will go next. Wild card. All right, gentlemen. Uh, who is your most famous Twitter follower? Who is your most famous Twitter follower right now? Oh, dear. Yikes. I don't know. Pat, lead us off. You've thought about it, so you've got to have an answer in mind. I've got, I've got a few of them. It's just it's very bizarre, some of my Twitter followers. Uh, remember, uh, I believe, Anthony Scaramucci, uh, the mooch, who was part of the Trump administration for like 27 for day. days? Yeah, uh, was it just no one, one day? day wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he, he follows Scaramucci, me on It's a measure of time now. He was there for one day, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me. 960960. But, yeah. He, he follows me on Twitter. Um, also, uh, Soledad O'Brien, I believe from CNN, she follows me on Twitter randomly. These people follow hundreds of thousands of people. So I'm just one of the random people they follow. But here are my, uh, here are my two ones that I'm somewhat proud of. Number one, Jenna Jameson follows me on Twitter. What? Um, Excuse me? What? (laughs) Yeah. So that, uh, at at last check anyway, let me go quickly check. She may have, you never know. Like sometimes you hold on, Ryan, I know what this is. This is one of those you subscribe and put your Twitter account in and then they follow you sort of thing. Is that what this is? No, she, uh, (laughs) she follows 15,700 people. And I am one of the uh, I am one of the people that she follows. So uh, Jenna Jameson still follows me on Twitter, um, and I think the Jeez. most famous in terms of followers would be Biz Nasty. Uh, I was pretty stoked when I got the Biz Nasty following because he's over a million. Jenna Jameson's at seven hundred and forty thousand. Biz is over a million. So Biz Nasty and Jenna Jameson are the uh, are the ones that. Um, are the ones that are most famous for me. 
Did you uh, remember where you were when the, um, you know, I guess what, film star Jenna Jameson followed you? That, that's, uh, that would be a moment, I'd think. Uh, I believe it was her? like the instant I got my verified check mark, she followed. Uh, so she's following 16,000 people and yeah. nearly a million, I guess, three quarters of a million people follow her. Huh. I don't know, Pat, and I'm not on like some of those TweetDeck and other services or, or I guess platforms to use Twitter. You can do a little more in terms of like sorting stuff like all i get when i start clicking through my followers is the chronological order so i'm all, all i'm seeing are the people that follow me in the last two weeks i don't really know as silly as that might sound yeah. okay um that's not an answer um let's see if ryan Joe what do you have logo? me um, I, I got a, a varied amount of people from sportsnet and guests like that obviously i got cj following me uh, Kelly Rudy tossed me probably a pity follow a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, don't, don't demean yourself. Uh, I do have uh, a former NFL lineman who wasn't very good, Michael Harris, so they used to play for the Chargers. He follows me. I talked to him a bunch on Twitter uh, a few years ago. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, this is a pretty special one, guys, but uh, – I don't know if you ever heard of Zach Boychuk or not, but uh, oh wow, you know, <laughs> wow. Uh, not only that, he's followed me about twelve times, so uh, pretty big deal wow. uh, to get that Twitter follow uh, locked okay. down. I found it. That you mentioned I Zach found Boychuk. it. Chuck, <laughs> professional athlete, one of the best in his sport, only follows five hundred and twenty people. One of them is me. Ooh. It's our boy Mike Soroka, obviously. Wow. Oh, nice. That's a good one. How many followers is he up to? I think 32,000. So he's not quite in Steinberg territory, but he's close. Boy, he'll be he'll be uh, 25 times in no me time. in no time. Jeremy Roenick also follows me on Twitter. Uh, that was also a, a is that good, good or bad. I was just going to say, is that a positive now? It or? was good at one point. Until he wanted yeah. to, you know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Logo, you're batting cleanup. You're All going. Right. Uh, you're going last. There we go. Oh man, I got pop culture last time, and oh. I I did the the Batman one, and Ryan uh, struggled with that one because completely he's, kicked that one around. Yeah, he I sure didn't did. didn't really like good. that. So I'm I'm gonna go back to the movie. Well, but I'm hopeful Ryan can get in on this Don't because he's me. he's uh, me. he's back into the Star Wars one. But gentlemen. What is your top trilogy of movies, whether that's Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Shrek? What is your top trilogy of movies? Now, does Star Wars count or no, because that's now nine movies? Sure it would. It would count. Yeah, it would be one of the three. Okay, I'm going to go first. I'm going to take Beverly Hills Cop. I feel like there was at least three, and I love those movies. Um, I thought they were funny and there was action. It was good. I'm Beverly Hills Cop. There, there you go. Call me crazy. Beverly Hills Cop. That's a that terrible uh, submission. Just awful. Like, they are funny. I don't know if they'd be in best trilogy of all time. Uh, but you know what? Have, have at her. Have I like Eddie Murphy. Uh, I, was Pat. Gonna, I like to laugh. I was going to nominate um, the Jason Bourne series, but it's not a trilogy anymore. It's now four movies, so it doesn't count. Mm. Um, 
guys, I, I loved Lord of the Rings in those three movies. They were great, incredible cinematography, great acting, a very immersive story. But I gotta go with the original Star Wars trilogy. I just what beats that? There's there's not a trilogy that exists on the planet Earth that I think can top that from rewatchability, from uh, just the, the groundbreaking nature of it. Yeah, I, I gotta go with the original Star Wars trilogy. No no doubt about it. Uh, I I tend to fall in Pat's realm with Star Wars. There, it's pretty up there. Uh, I'd throw another one out there and say that, uh, well, the last one wasn't as great. Uh, I like the Godfather trilogy, uh, too. That's another good one with uh, those ones coming out. I just out. hated the, the Godfather 3 It was so, so bad, and it was so much later after the other movies. It's not it's not great, but the first two, you know, put it up there for me. I don't even consider it a me. trilogy, right? Like I, and, and I will rephrase. I don't. You can't hate anything that the director makes or with those. I don't hate The Godfather 3, but I don't consider it a trilogy. I consider it two movies with an epilogue. That's, that's more the way that I look at The Godfathers, just because Godfather 3, you're right, came so far after the fact and really isn't a finalization of the story so much as it is kind of a here's what's happening after the first two movies. So I, I don't really look at The Godfather as a trilogy, but it is, I guess, technically one. And the first two movies are so incredible that it, it needs to be in the conversation for sure. Uh, and um, some other... Ryan went with Beverly Hills Cop, eh? <laughs> it's funny. I feel like that deserves a shout-out. I, I, I look for a little laughter and levity. Um, Transformers, a trilogy. Lord of the Rings, a trilogy. Toy Story, trilogy. Spider-Man, there was three of them. Uh, Men in Black now has, I believe, three or more. Uh, also, what else? We got Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was the third, I believe. Like, there's, there's lots of good stuff. Iron there, Man you know? has three movies. Yeah, you could pull three, three from the MC. Like the Captain America trilogy gets a lot of love out of the Marvel. Yeah, movies. Cap- I, I like Captain America trilogy better than I like the. Uh, Iron Man trilogy. Um, there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. Um, so yeah, I, uh, somebody asked if, isn't there five born movies? There's four. The one with Jeremy Renner doesn't count. If Matt Damon's not in the movie, it's not a born movie. So no, the one with <laughs> Jeremy Renner doesn't count. Mm. Um, hangover trilogy is uh, a good Back one the from Future's, the text line. Hangover has been hangover. thrown out there. Back yes. to the future has been thrown out there. Uh, Indiana Jones, uh, so although they did make a fourth Indiana Jones, so does that count as a trilogy anymore? Does Star Wars even count? Like this is a very, it's a great question, Logo, because it, it's there's a lot of controversy. I love it. A lot of gray area. Uh, there you go. That's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Break. Come back, wrap, and then we're off to Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia for Game 4 of the 1993 World Series. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just everyday heroes. That's what we are, Pat. Hoping that uh, all of you listening are doing the same. True staying heroes. in. Oh, yeah. If you're, when people uh, go out at 7 just... o'clock to bang their pots and pans and give rounds of applause, it's for Pinder and Steinberg. <laughs> 
I no, say no, that 100% in jest. We are just idiots. Uh, there are people that are so much more important right now. Uh, we are not important. Uh, just a couple of scrubs somehow doing a radio show from home. Uh, the human beings that are actually getting a plot. I, I did it for the first time last night. I went out and did it. Uh, because cool. Because it, it started in my condo building. Uh, they deserve 500,000 times more than what they're getting. Um and that's not a. That's not me trying to say that we're not doing enough, but uh, they they deserve every bit of adulation they're getting right now and more. Thank you very much to uh, to everybody who's keeping this province going and and to keeping people alive. Uh, very quick, you got a COVID count for the day. Seems like a good number for Alberta. Yeah, uh, this actually is pretty good number. Uh, Twenty five new cases today, um, which includes more than thirteen hundred tests over the last twenty four hours. Now, as our uh, chief medical officer, uh, Doctor Hinshaw, has said many times, don't try to put too much stock one way or the other in terms of predicting a curve from one day. But when you get uh, not twenty five, twenty eight new cases over a 24-hour period and 1,300 more tests over that 24-hour period. That, that's that's certainly something that even for one day you can say that's that's a good number. Uh, now up to 592 of the 1,451 have recovered. The bad news is three more deaths in the province, and uh, thoughts and prayers go, go out to those who lost loved ones in the last 24 hours. But uh, 28 new cases, three new deaths, and uh, 592 recovered cases, 74 more recovered in the last 24 hours. Okay, we got to get you to Philly right away. Jays and Phillies game four of the 93 World Series for Logan Gordon and Pat Steinberg. Uh, my name's Ryan Pinder. Have a good Hold one on weekend, one second. Oh. <laughs> the there we are. Not drinking. Not drinking. Hey, Logo, to wrap Definitely us up, uh, play that uh, heading to break. Play the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward. He joined us yesterday, gave us a great message on the way out. think it's a perfect way to go into the long weekend. Uh, we will talk to you on Monday. Jays and Phillies Game 4 World Series is next. Uh, for Logo, for Pinder, I'm Pat. All of our stuff up at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Here's head coach Jeff Ward with a great way to send us into a long weekend. Have a great one, everybody. I'd just like to... Uh... Give a shout out to all the all the healthcare workers and everybody else on the front lines fighting this thing for us. I mean, they're it's not uh, it's not unseen and it's not unappreciated. Now I know you guys are talking about it on the radio all the time, but you know, I as a guy who's uh, sitting back looking at this thing and experiencing it myself, it's like I don't you know these people are doing a fantastic job for us, and I just really want to give them a shout out and, and a big thanks because it's it's hugely hugely appreciated.